Welcome to episode number 16 of How to Rocket Your Private Investigations Business. I'm your host, John A. Hoda, and today's date is December 15th, 2020. Today's guest is Marcy Phelps. She is the president of Marcy Phelps and Associates and has been in this capacity for over 21 years. Marcy specializes in due diligence, asset discovery, and training services. She's a former librarian turned private investigator. She's a certified fraud examiner and research expert specializing in fraud prevention. Marcy has a master's from the University of Denver in library information and a bachelor's from the State University of New York in New Paltz in mathematics. She's the past president of the Association of Independent Information Professionals, AIIP, a global association that supports owners of information businesses. There's a lot of good actionable takeaways in this episode, I promise. It is my pleasure to bring Marcy on the show. Welcome to my new podcast, How to Rocket Your PI Business, and it features successful private investigators who offer insights into their careers and advice to those just starting out or to those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish a show without asking them to share their favorite detective stories and maybe a few sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather round my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my recently published books for private investigators. How to launch your private investigation business, how to market your private investigation business, and how to boost your private investigation business. It also appears a three-book set in How to Rocket Your Private Investigation Business, the complete series. All can be found at your favorite online retailers in ebook or softcover. Did you know that I also coach private investigators how to survive and thrive in business? Visit my website at www.thepicoach.com. That is thepicoach.com to learn more. Hi, Marcy. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Hi, you're quite welcome. How's the weather down there in beautiful Wilmington, North Carolina? Absolutely beautiful. I haven't been here very long, but since I've been here, we haven't had a bad day yet. Are you sure you're not working for the Chamber of Commerce? (laughs) Here in southwestern Connecticut, it's a glorious fall day, sunny, a lot of warmth. Most of the leaves are down. In the background, you might hear the roar of my neighbors' lawnmowers as they lift up the leaves to uh, put them in the bags for recycling. But I can't get around that probably for the next three weeks on a daily basis. We met through LinkedIn, and I was really impressed with your background. And I said, please come on the show. And you were gracious enough to say you would. So I thank you so much for doing so. Going back, and this goes back a while now, we both have been doing this PI thing for quite some time now. When you decided to become a PI, what did your original idea look like? Well, I first need to clarify that I've owned my business for 20 years, but I have been a PI for maybe five, six, maybe seven years of that. Okay. It's been a long and windy career. Take your time. As you might have seen, I started out as a librarian. And I knew very quickly that I wanted to start my own business. I had some people reach out to me and ask me to do some contract work. And I said, well, this looks like a nice idea, working from home. 
doing what I love, research. I found an association of people, a lot of former librarians who have started their own business, AIIP, Association of Independent Information Professionals. And that helped me realize that I could actually make a living doing this, that there were other people doing it. So I started my business and mostly did marketing and business research and intelligence analysis, a lot of executive profiles, background investigations. And then as things change in businesses, marketing research became a hard sell. People had an intern who could Google, serve an account for SurveyMonkey, and they were doing their own research. as. You know, uh, since you've been in business so long, some things just come to you rather than you seeking it out. And a lot of that's happened in my career. Okay. And about that time, a PI that found me through my network reached out to me and asked if I would help him do some news and social media research. I was sure I loved the work and he liked my work and... He taught me a lot, pretty much everything that he knew, what he did. He specialized in hedge fund due diligence, background investigation, very specialized. So he taught me that, and I found my passion, actually. About that time, it was when Colorado didn't have licensing for a while, and they brought it back about five and a half years ago. Right. He encouraged me to get my PI license. So I did. My original plan was to do hedge fund due diligence and specialize that way. So that's how I got there and what it looked like at first. So when you say hedge fund due diligence, you know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. But I do personal injury investigations. I do criminal defense. I do forensic genealogy. So you're going to have to just break that down a little bit for me. Who's your main customer? What is their objective? What are they trying to accomplish? And what is the information that you're looking for? And without giving us a secret sauce, tell me you know, where you look for it. So the clients are institutional investors. They invest other people's money in hedge funds. Okay. Now, hedge funds are not, I wouldn't say they're like rolling dice or playing roulette, but they're a, a more of a high stakes venture with a higher yield, but greater risk. Yes. They're considered an alternative investment and for more well-heeled investors. Yeah, the greater yield. But this is a fund. In these situations, it's usually these institutional investors invest in a whole lot of funds for their clients and they create their own funds. It's called a fund of funds. Okay. Of hedge funds. Of hedge funds. Wow. So they, they spread out the risk amongst a variety of hedge funds to say, way, way my Vanguard account spreads the risk in an index fund amongst the stocks. Exactly. Oh, okay. I'm not big on investments, but I, that's the way I understand it. Okay. Before they invest... They do uh, a thorough process of due diligence, and they handle several other aspects of due diligence. I handle the background investigation on the hedge fund managers, the people, and the companies. And I do it a deep dive into their backgrounds, good and bad. Client likes to get the full picture. Absolutely. They, 
many of the clients have a, a fiduciary responsibility to the buyer of the fund, and they have to show that they've done their due diligence. Part of that is their fiduciary responsibility, almost acting like uh, a big brother. Hey, look, you know, we're going to put you in this fund, but we're going to make sure that we check it out so we're not going to get you into a Ponzi scene. Exactly. The type of things that you're looking for in that kind of background, what is it that you're looking for? What are the red flags? What is it that if you can talk about some situations where you've uncovered something that was very, very helpful to the institutional investor? So please tell me about a few of those situations. So we look into the background. So we check public records, regulatory. We look to see if they own property, own their house. My client doesn't like the managers who live in their mother's basements. They look at everything. We look at news and social media. We really dig deep into personal and professional history. Mostly in due diligence, what you're doing is verifying what they tell my client okay. on the disclosure documents and in their meetings. And we also find out what they left out of those documents. And that's where the fun is. That's where the fun is. I have to say that most of these hedge fund managers are extremely boring, come out very clean in the background check. But occasionally you find the individual who, for some reason, needs to embellish. For example, you don't need an MBA. You don't even need a college degree to be a hedge fund manager. But if you say you have that degree, you darn well better. Because if they lie about that, what else will they lie about? That's the idea behind it, verifying all that. Okay. I was going to say, and there was a series of bankruptcies, almost like a bust-out scheme. You want to look for financial liabilities. Can they manage their own money? Do they have personal liabilities? So, for example, with the degrees, we had one gentleman who claimed a degree, an MBA from a very prestigious graduate school. And I found out in our verification, and he put it on the disclosure, the authorization form. So he's put it in a signed legal document that he has this degree from this particular university, only to find out that it's from not the prestigious university, but a state university in New York. And as you know, I'm a SUNY graduate myself from the system, and I got a little insulted. Why did he think that wasn't good enough? But my client, most importantly, didn't like it at all. And by the end of that day, that man's name was off the company website. Boy, okay. You just can't lie about stuff like that. I can see an embellishment. Uh, a Stanford MBA versus a SUNY Poughkeepsie or SUNY Binghamton MBA. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. One has about $200,000 more in debt than the other, but it's an MBA. And in reality, as good as the schools are, it's what the track record of these uh, hedge fund people are that uh, really speaks to what the what should be, uh, answer the questions. That's that. That's well, and be. their honesty. If they've lied on a legal document, they can't trust them with their clients fifty million dollars. You asked what I learned along the way. Speaking of hedge fund due diligence, is that you can't make a living doing just hedge fund due diligence. Okay. <laughs> 
So I needed to expand. I still focus mainly on background investigations, but I work with mergers and acquisitions professionals as well as investors and anyone else. I also have been doing some asset discovery, finding and judgment enforcement, just helping find assets that people may have hidden or haven't put on their disclosure documents too. And then I've really been trying and with a lot going on in my business and relocating, I'm ramping up my training business. Because as you know, we can't go to speaking at conferences. I have a background in education and I've always tried to find a way to use that background in my business. I've been doing some online courses in my areas of expertise. Creating them. I create them, yeah, and and they're on a platform called Illumio, I-L-L-E-M-E-O.com. It's kind of uh, continuing education for the accountants, CFO people, risk management kind of people. No, I'm I'm familiar with uh, a couple other ones, Teachable being one. Of course, the other name escapes me right now, one of the biggest ones. That's what happens when you get older. (laughs) (laughs) It'll come to me and I'll blurt it out probably about 2.30 in the morning. That's the platform for which you then deliver your teaching and training. But it's interesting going back to what you were saying about your love of uh, really diving into the hedge funds and then realizing that your skill sets were applicable for other areas as well. And you went through mergers and acquisitions, asset location for and judgment enforcement. So you found other nails for your hammer, for lack of a better word. I've been doing that my entire career. Remember, I started as a librarian, so I applied a lot of those skills daily and then learned new skills to fill in. And then I expanded and applied my skills, like you said, in different ways. Yeah, I think some private investigators don't quite grasp that. Some do intuitively, but what I'm going to say back to you in a way of a teaching moment for some of my listeners is, is that you're very good at certain things and that's what your customers came to you for. And then you expanded that to other customers that wanted that exact same thing. But now out of your expanded customer base, they had other things they wanted too, other types of services to go along with or to complement the primary services that you were offering. And that's what you had to learn in order to service that uh, market niche. And if I'm not mistaken, that's what sometimes is hard for some investigators to understand. But I can tell you that that's different than, say, a surveillance investigator who is really, really good with personal injury surveillances, disability uh, surveillances, workers' comp surveillances, and that type of thing, going away from the insurance companies and going to the private market to do fidelity investigations and fidelity surveillances and custody surveillances to see whether or not the ex-spouse is actually complying uh, with the safe environment for the children. And that's taking the same skill set, but applying it to a totally different customer base. Whereas you're taking your skill sets, applying them to a customer base, and then providing more and different skills to that customer base. So you're not changing your customer base. What you're doing is expanding what they can obtain from you. Yes. Which is an interesting way to run your business because you never know what your next case or project will be. Because I would never have thought of some of these things that people ask me for, specifically conflict of interest. I would not have come up with that. 
until somebody had asked me for it. But you could see the business value to that, right? Oh, it was extremely valuable. And I really saw the value of news rounding out the public records because we found no connection in public records, but I found it in the news, like from 1999 or something. There was a connection. Yeah. You say 1999, it makes it sound like, you know, when dinosaurs walked the earth. Well, when you're looking at news articles, that's an oldie. I know. And that's the interesting (laughs) thing about it. I mean, I'm an oldie. I've been around from doing some sort of research at the county libraries, I mean, libraries or county uh, records or city records, dusty old archival records. And, And I began to understand that's how many of the present day database aggregators got a lot of its information. But I also knew that when I went to look at a microfilm for a newspaper at a library, I better have a pretty good idea of what date range I'm looking at, because otherwise it could be maddening just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Now with, I guess what you're telling me with OCR, optical uh, character recognition, they can now with, and, and if these same records are now off of microfilm, but they're now digitized, you're able to get newspaper records that are almost, like you said, 21 years old. And what a surprise that would be for you to be able to pull that up. Again, my library skills, I'm using databases that I learned how to use in grad school for the database searching. That's one of those skills I learned as a librarian that's really given me a lot of value nowadays. I have to give a shout out to a local librarian in New Haven. I'm sorry that I don't remember her name right now, but she's wonderful. And I told her that I had to do a search for a criminal event that took place in the early 80s. In the present situation of COVID, couldn't walk into the courthouses and try to pull the docket. That just wasn't going to happen. I couldn't walk into the courthouse period. So I asked the librarian if they could try to utilize the New Haven Register to find this. Well, knock me down with a feather. Not only did she check the New Haven Register and didn't really come up with anything right away, but she checked the Yale Daily News, Yale University Daily News, which publishes, I think, twice a week or something. And in there, because there was some sort of interest for the students of Yale University, that librarian was able to find the event that I was talking about. Now, with that event, I was able to get a date. And then that date, then we could zoom in over on the New Haven Register and get within a couple day date range of what happened. And with that same information, now I could point the searcher at the courthouse about those dates for that incident with a little bit more information, uh, proper spelling of names and what have you. And they were able to actually come up with our arrest docket for an event that took place in 19, I think 1981. So 39 years ago. And if it wasn't for the tenacity of a librarian doing some old school searches and also checking out a source that I should have known about. Here I have, I've lived in uh, New Haven since 1986. So I, I guess maybe 34 years now. And I should have thought about the Yale Daily News, but I never thought about it. And that for her to be able to check that and turn that into gold for me, my client thought I pulled a rabbit out of a hat. Honest to God. But I, I only tell that story to talk about the importance of that kind of skill set in that probably singing to the choir here, right? Well, that's what we learn in, in uh, grad school and on the job. That's part of understanding what the real question is. Right. That's one of those, what we kind of call in librarian superpowers. And if this place doesn't have the answer, where else? So yeah, those are 
great skills and have served me well. And that you understand that, and this is another tip for our listeners, is that, there, that there's actually two. Garbage in, garbage out. If you put in garbage into a internet search, you're going to get garbage back. Plain and simple. You're not going to turn garbage into a flower pot. Second thing is that a lot of times knowing the right question can help those people that are doing the searching will really do the search a little bit better. (laughs) And we both know what that means. It's like they looked at it one way, nothing happened. Well, could you try it this way? Could you try it that way? Could you try it this way? That you know how to ask them to try it a little different way. And they know that you're persistent they know that you're not giving up. So they might as well do the job and do it a little bit better. And voila, what happens? They find the information, right? And why is that? Because they massage the data a little differently. And that's something that you used to be able to do more with paper, I think, than you can electronically or digitally these days. Oh, you have to know how. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to follow the trail. I used to say all the times that the stuff that was in the margins, handwritten in along the margins, was the gold. See, I I became a librarian when it all was online. So I'm not a... Dinosaur, like me. (laughs) Well, I am a a bit... The the librarian thing was a bit of a, a midlife career change for me, as it was. So my kids were in high school when I went back to grad school. Oh, okay. But you understand what I'm speaking about. Absolutely. You have to follow the trail. Right. And be creative. I think you don't have to be a librarian. Any investigator has got to use creativity and on the job every day. And I think, though, that my experience with librarians are, for the most part, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. Ooh, let's try this. Did, <laughs> did you consider this? Did you consider this? Did you consider that? I have to give another shout out to my genealogy librarians at the State Library in Hartford, Connecticut. I used to go there as an investigator, and I learned forensic genealogy, and I probably sat at their knee as they said, well, let's try this. Let's try that. And then they also had a lot of the paper documents there, and they said, oh, well, let's let's look at this and see if you could find it from there. So a gravesite marking and with some information I could then lead us back to a digital and then it led us to the microfilm and then you, you know what I'm talking about and how that worked. I kind of diverged a little bit there but I just wanted to really give a shout out to librarians and librarian skills and how important they are for uncovering information and how important information is. Not so much data, but information. That's the thing that I think is very, very important. As your company has morphed, you know, t- tell me more about it. Tell me more about what you've been doing. After 20 years in business, I've gotten to the point where I'm a lot more selective about my clientele. So I'm working with clients that I really, really enjoy working with, doing absolutely fun work. And really hoping to expand. I have two courses on Illumio right now. And my goal for the new year is to really expand the offering there. Okay. And who would you be offering the training to? And what is the nature of the training? The training is for people who need to get continuing education credits, units in I'm a certified fraud examiner, so maybe other CFEs, risk management people, financial CPA types, internal auditors, other investigators. That's kind of the audience. My one course is on due diligence background investigations in general, not just for hedge funds. And the second course was on how to search online public records and 
My next course is going to be on how to search news and social media like a pro. It's a lot of how-to in the research and analysis part of the investigations. No, that's great because a lot of times you say, well, go here, go there, go there. But you don't know how to go here, there, and there. And now you're teaching them how. Quick question, Marcy. You mentioned certified Ford examiners. I also am a CFE. And I believe you are my first CFE. We argued about that before. But unless you... you unless, Hal Humphreys. Is a CFE? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be and, darned. Yes. And I th- have you interviewed Brian Willingham? I have. He's a CFE, too. Okay. I thought I had seen him on your your list. Yes, so. you're right. So there you go. So I'm not your first. But you're really talking about it with me today as a major point, just as opposed to having that designation after your, your name. I highly recommend it. It was a great professional move for me. I'm not what you would consider a traditional fraud examiner. I try to help my clients avoid going into business with fraudsters in the first place, but I've just learned so much from other CFEs. It's a great network. And I think as an investigator, you're only as good as your network. Mm -hmm. I have a personal question, if I may. Oh, sure. And this wasn't covered in our preview, so you can demure if you want. So I I thought, and and I'm not being a smart ass when I say this, but that a lot of the offerings, with the exception, I think, of Cynthia Hetherington, a lot of the offerings that are done through the ACFE catalog are a lot of homegrown things. And they seem to be not from the general population of CFE. So my question is, did you have to run it by somebody at the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners to meet their good housekeeping seal of approval in order to get that acceptable for their CEU credits? My courses? Yeah. On Illumio? Yeah. Illumio takes care of that for me. No kidding. I create. <laughs> this is why I happen to like work. I've been working with Illumio for over a year, and they've been great to work with. They handle that. Oh, wonderful. Because, you know, it's like you're a course creator. You have the intelligence. You have the creativity. You can put the stuff together. You can transmit it in a way that students or uh, trainees can understand it. But then there's all those hoops that you have to jump through in order for the entity to give it the good housekeeping seal of approval. And now they say Marcy Phelps' courses are acceptable by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners for Continuing Education Units. The fact that there is some other entity doing that lifting for you takes all that off your shoulders and allows you to do what? To create, to make better courses. Oh my, that is nice. Yes. And I and they get for other organizations too, with the CPAs and I don't even know all of them. The audit internal auditors. So like you say, I can create and they need to handle that. Some people like to do all that on their own. I would rather put my time where it's uh, most effective. To me, I did not know about Illumio. And if I were to consider that again, you know, doing some cor- kind of course creation, I would jump on that bandwagon and do that. Honestly, that makes so much sense because if the Association of Certified Professional Accountants or the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners or the, I don't know what the Association for Internal Audits are, but if Illumio can create the bridge between those entities accepting your course materials, oh man, that's great. 
I think other platforms do that as well. Really? You, you, yes. You just have to be willing to share part of your revenue. That's all. I don't have a problem with that because for me, the course creation is, is wonderful. And once that's done and it's evergreen, that somebody else can then do the heavy lifting to get it into the right hands where they have a, a focused customer base that has what? They have to get certified by their association. And in order to maintain that certification, they have to do continuing education credits. It's an evergreen source of income for you. And and you create the course once, and once it's in the portal, it's there. It's there for you. Fantastic. I'm glad that we explored that a little deeper. And the fact is that those three courses that you named during this time period where investigators have a little bit more time on their hands, I have been strongly, strongly advocating that they upskill. And if your courses can help them upskill and find a better client or a different client because they have new skills, then that's fantastic. And uh, I think that's wonderful. The other thing that you mentioned, too, I want to touch upon as well, is that you decided to go the route of clients that appreciate you clients that you'd like to work for, clients that have fun. You and I both been through the wars. We both know what the grinders and the burners are like. We all know what the low pay, slow pay clients are like. And that you're in a place where you can say, you know what? I'm going to identify my A1 clients and I want to replicate them. I think that's a wonderful tip, not only for yourself that you're embodying, but also a wonderful tip for my listeners, because quite frankly, how much time have we spent working with the burners, the grinders, the slow pay, the low pay, you know, the people in that fourth quadrant that you want to get rid of desperately, but you're nervous about letting go of the income, but yet all the harangue that you have to go through and all the hoops that you have to jump through for that that client is not worth it, quite frankly. And you're, you're making a conscious decision to work with the people that you like working for. I bet your life is a lot easier now and and you have a lot less headaches and a lot less burn. I enjoy my work so much more. And it's funny you should mention it's very frightening to give up that income. But I found that I actually make more money now because when the client treats you as a peer, an equal on their team, that's when they start thinking of all these new things that they could have you do. My hedge fund due diligence, one of my, their regular clients, every month you get a list of names. So I've been working with these people a long time. And over time, they've started asking me questions. Oh, by the way, how can we improve our due diligence process during a pandemic when we can't do on-site visits? That type of consultative type of work, which is so much more valuable and high paying actually. Yeah. And a lot of times, because my clients know that I've, I've been around insurance investigations, either for the insurance companies or for personal injury attorneys now for close to 44 years, that they can ask me those kind of questions. And once we're in a consultative or in a partnership role, I relish that conversation because it does, it educates my clients on how they can utilize my services better. I think what you're saying is that the sooner we move away from transactional providers of services to partnerships and doing consultations with our clients, the richer the engagement is, the better paying the engagement is, and the work is much, much more fulfilling. Oh, exactly. You just summed it up. You know, for my listeners, I I, I do that based upon what my 
guests tell me. <laughs> and you told me it that way. I just wanted to put it together in a way that it was like, listen, guys and gals, this is what Marcy just said. You better pay attention to it because that's really important. It is. The sooner you get out of being transactional and becoming a partner or a consultant for your clients, the more value you offer to them and the more fulfilling the work is back for you. And it is, obviously, it is. Yeah, Marcy, uh, so what advice, you know, I know I've just given some advice and, and we also talked a little bit about doing what you love and finding the right customer client and having fun in that engagement. What other advice would you have for anybody else starting out in our profession? I mean, just starting out brand spanking. Well, first and foremost, as I mentioned, your network is extremely valuable as an investigator. I've had clients tell me they love my network because they can ask me for something they know I don't do, but they know I know someone who does. Through your state and national PI associations, and I mean really connect. You can't just join. You can't just t attend the occasional meeting. You have to volunteer. You have to maybe be a speaker, share your knowledge, get involved so that people really get to know you and you get to know them. I think that you never stop learning. And today, I think there are... I, there are so many opportunities. PI education. Who else did I hear today? I listened to another, and the name is escaping me, someone else who is offering education. Oh, Rory McMahon. How can I forget Rory? Sure. He was on my podcast a couple times. I listened to him and when he was talking about his new educational offerings. Right. So things like that are happening now. So you could, Cynthia Hetherington, you can always learn something from. And other bloggers and people on LinkedIn, I learn a lot. I think you can't go it alone. In addition to the subcontractors that fill in when the skill sets you need, you have your mentors, coaches, as you know. <laughs> Sure. As much as I like the solitary work life I have of my home office here, I make sure I connect through the association conferences, coffee, now Zoom. <laughs> and I think the way we became acquainted was you made a comment on a post that I made and we started a conversation back and forth. Exactly. LinkedIn's been fabulous for that. Oh, yeah, it is. And to your point, I'll, I'll give a real-life example. I have a company that I do work for. They needed something out in the uh, scrub brush of West Texas. For me to travel down there during COVID and to basically have a PI go along next to me to do the work they wanted me to do, I said no. There's an excellent PI firm that I know down in Texas. I gave them the name of Kelly Riddle. And I said, I didn't even want a commission. I didn't even want a referral fee. Now, my son who works with me might have argued with that. But you know what? It's it's just that, hey, we do for each other. Kelly's done a lot of wonderful things for me in the past. And this was one I, I just knew that I could give it to him. I could fire and forget and he could handle it. $5,000 case maybe. You know, that's, that's a pretty nice chunk of change for some investigators. That'll pay some bills. I had another client, same week, asked me to do a very delicate surveillance. And nothing illegal, just delicate. And it needed to be handled the right way. And when we did the preliminary investigation on it, I confirmed that it was beyond my skill sets. You know, I don't 
specialize in surveillance are people that do specialize in surveillance. And two names came to mind. The first one I gave the job to, and my client called me back later on and said, they did a wonderful job. They did exactly what you said they were going to do. They did it exactly the way that you said they were going to do it. And they delivered this result for us. Now, my clients in both of those situations, and look at me as being stronger because of my network, not because I did the work, or worse, I refused the work, which is stupid. But because I have a network, I always have something that I can help a client out with and say, well, you know what, maybe I can't do that, but I know somebody that can. Somebody that I trust, somebody that I vetted, somebody that I've gone to the meetings with, gone to associations with, I've worked on volunteer programs with. A long story short on that, networking is really important. And I've got to be honest with you, Marcy, I was not a big networker when I first started. Uh-huh. I was not. I stiffed my nose up in the air and I said, I'm a good investigator. I know what I'm doing. What do I need all that fun stuff for? And I realized what an idiot I was, which my my wife often agrees with. In this case, I realized that, that my networking has just made my life so much more easier than trying to forge the path myself and do everything or my worse, way. turning business away that you really don't have to turn away. Exactly. This uh, client that I gave the job to Kelly Riddle for has been a wonderful client for me for years, years. And if I turned that job away, they'd go to another investigator and I might not get the next big whale case from them. I did the right thing by my client. I did the right thing by Kelly. I know that in some fashion, it'll pay me back in spades later on. What other advice that you might have for our our newbies, people that are considering getting started besides uh, networking in their association? I think you have to find your expertise. I think the days of the jack of all trades PI are over. There's just so much to it. There's so much you have to do to do right for your client. And we can't do everything. I think you kind of have to narrow your focus a little bit. Although, like I pointed out earlier, it was a mistake for me to narrow it too much for just hedge fund due diligence. But I was still using my same basic skills, as you pointed out, in different settings. I can't be a surveillance person and a research person and an expert witness all the time. Yeah. And what does your website look like? What a mishmash that would be, right? (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. I see it all the time. I see private investigators that put together their websites and they want to be a jack of all trades. They want to be everything to everybody. They want to cross all the verticals, business to consumer, business to business, professional to professional. They want to be everything to everybody. And the result is they're nobody to nobody. They're nothing to nobody, I should say. And there's no unique selling differential there. There's no uh, unique selling proposition. There's nothing there to separate them from the herd. And that's the thing that I try to tell my uh, clients. That's what I try to tell other private investigators. What is it that you do and who's going to be the person that's going to pay you the most amount of money for that? That's your target audience. And then you start layering in other supporting types of customers within that while still also growing more skill sets for that customer base. And you'll find yourself much happier than trying to be everything to everybody. We both have learned that in our experience. So uh, tell me how people get in touch with My you, My email would be best, and it's my name, Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y, at Marcy Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S, one word, dot com. Wonderful. Is there anything that I failed to ask you that you think might be helpful to private investigators that are getting started in the business or are struggling to keep I the think lights on? One thing that I learned throughout my business, even before I became a PI, is that 
it's so much better to attract clients than try to chase them down. Hmm. This one was a hard one to learn. Business has just sort of come from here without even trying. Why don't I try to get more business from this industry or target audience? It never works. And I have found that after all these years, I wish I had learned this sooner. It's really much better to attract clients, do really good work so they refer people to you, put out good content so people find you on LinkedIn and keep coming back. And then when they hear of somebody, and most of my clients don't really read what I write or hear what I speak about, but the people who do refer me. Hmm. That's wonderful, sage advice. I like to close our interview with that. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, and I really appreciate everything you've done today. Thank you for listening. I hope I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments you have on the website, www.thepicoach.com. Our guest next week is Steve Barry. Steve is the New York Times and number one internationally best-selling author of 19 novels. His books have been translated into 40 languages with 25 million copies in 51 countries. They consistently appear in the top echelon of the New York Times, USA Today, and Indie Bestseller list. History lies at the heart of every Steve Barry novel. It's his passion, one he shares with his wife, Elizabeth, which led them to create History Matters, a foundation dedicated to historic preservation. Since 2009, Steve and Elizabeth have crossed the country to save endangered historic treasures. This is going to be an episode that you won't want to miss. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out our website, thepicoach.com, for more episodes, PI coaching services, books, and more. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by this conversation today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please reach out through our website, thepicoach.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.